The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to Squawk Box with Karen Cho, myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. Oil prices hovering near 2019 highs as the U.S. announces plans to end sanctions waivers on Iranian crude imports. We'll no longer grant any exemptions. We're going to zero. Going to zero across the board. We will continue to enforce sanctions and monitor compliance. Global markets bracing themselves for the busiest week of corporate earnings season so far this year as European banks and U.S. tech giants prepare to report. Herman Cain withdrawn to his name for a seat on the Federal Reserve Board, blaming low pay, not Senate opposition, for his decision. Sri Lanka observes a day of mourning in the wake of Easter attacks that killed nearly 300 people as questions emerge over whether an intelligence tip-off was shared with appropriate levels of government. Welcome back after our long break over the Easter weekend. I uh, hope you have plenty of Easter eggs to celebrate. Uh, let me take you to some of the Asian market action as we start off the trading week. And a fairly muted uh, picture, particularly for Chinese stocks, and some down to a report that crossed in the South China Morning Post, which effectively quoted uh, the committee, the China's policymaking committee, looking at structural changes to the economy rather than stimulus. And if you think about uh, some of the messaging of late that's bolstered the stock market, it has been promises of the addition of more stimulus to prop up the economy that has carried the stock market a fair way. Now, the data has started to stabilize to an extent, and that's created a little bit more optimism around the mainland market. But this subtle shift in tone around structural changes, structural reforms, has just impacted the trading session. You can see we are slightly softer in session, down by a third of a percent, versus uh, gains for Australia, about eight tenths firmer there, and on the flat line for Japanese stocks. So the U.S. markets, it is a fairly big week as uh, we wade through a whole lot of corporate earnings this week. And if you look at the trading action yesterday, the, the Dow actually pulling back in session 48 points. Now, some of this down to contribution from Boeing, one of the worst performers, uh, all this after New York Times report that workers at the company's 787 uh, jet plane also complained about uh, fairly shoddy production practices and safety this uh, after issues from the aircraft maker. So the fortunes of the Dow impacted by Boeing's fortunes, as you saw, pull back by two tenths of a percent. The rest of the markets somewhat uh, supported, only a tenth on the S&P, two tenths for the Nasdaq. Uh, where we're trading on the Dow, the S&P and Nasdaq, they're within about two percent of records, but it takes you back to this earnings season, why it's so important. Investors are looking for some uh, information that suggests that the rally is worthwhile, that the rally is justified. And so far over the course of this week, we've had Halliburton, Kimberly Clark, both reporting better than expected quarterly results, but a whole bunch of other companies are expected to report this week. 140 S&P 500 companies, including Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble, uh, the likes of the big tech names, Twitter, Facebook, Microsoft, 
and Tesla all due on the ticket as well. Oil prices, a big factor coming through from energy prices now. We saw WTI in session yesterday hit its highest level since October. It uh, posted its best day of gains since February. The surge in oil prices about 3% uh, across the course of the session yesterday, hitting some of these highs for 2019 all after Trump uh, announced that effectively buyers will end imports from Iran. So no more waivers for that country come the first of next month. You can see uh, 74 on the handle on Brent, 65 on WTI. So again, we have, I think, uh, some unusuals in the market trading action down to the Trump so administration. Much to discuss it. Good morning to you. Lovely to see you. Nice it's been a long you. time. Yes, Is I feel very rusty. Sporting? Sorry? Is that a tan you're sporting? A tan. It's a Sussex tan. Yes, the <laughs> finest, better, better weather than the Med, I'm told. In fact, Sussex, did you know Sussex is the sunniest county in the United Kingdom? Really? So what did you clock up All those people in Cornwall and Devon eat your heart out. Well, I was in Norfolk, so I was 24. Norfolk's lovely as well. What a lovely council. Yeah, what's normal for Norfolk, though. Do you know, it's a special day in uh, Ethiopia, Georgia, Iberia, which includes Catalonia, Aragon, Valencia, Portugal, Brazil, um, Russia, Bulgaria. Good morning, Thanos Papasavas. He's with us as well. Do you know why it's a special day? Well, because they all have some form of patronage or celebration of the St. George. Oh, of course. And of course, it's English St. George. Well, you know the one that all those Brexiteers, they wave that flag and they want to get away from all those pesky Europeans. Well, he actually has an association with many of those pesky Europeans, apparently. So happy St. George's Day to all of you. Got my special cufflinks on. Do you, St. George's cufflinks? Got my special cufflinks. Mm. Very yeah. Good. In fact, I wear them every other single day. I've got nothing to do with it. Anyway, let's talk about oil. Uh, speaking to reporters about the decision not to reissue waivers for Iranian oil imports, the Secretary of State for the US, Mike Pompeo, said there would be no exceptions. We're going to zero. Going to zero across the board. We will continue to enforce sanctions and monitor compliance. Any nation or entity interacting with Iran should do its diligence and err on the side of caution. The risks are simply not going to be worth the benefits. We have used the highest possible care in our decision to ensure market stability. The United States has been in constant discussion with allies and partners to help them transition away from Iranian crude to other alternatives. Well, this is absolutely fascinating. And there are so many points to the story here, because on another day, Mr. Trump will be saying, come on, OPEC, no uh, price constraints, no production constraints, pump oil, because I'm worried about re-election as well. But on another day, i.e. today, uh, he's saying, yep, we can do without Iranian oil. But Dan Murphy, uh, who's been looking at all the nuances of this story, joins us now to talk about oil from Abu Dhabi. Good morning, Dan. Hi there, Steve. Good morning, guys, from the Middle East. Yes, a huge story in the oil patch. And this news about the Iranian waivers certainly sent a shockwave through a market that is already vulnerable to supply-side headlines. It certainly creates a lot more uncertainty for the price outlook, at least in the near term. But it also opens the door for potentially higher prices in the midterm. Now, what we're seeing right now with regards to prices is this. As Karen pointed out for you before, Brent crude tracking below the 75 USD handle, but now it's 74 33, up 0.4%. So indeed, 2019 highs here. Nymex crude at 65.89 US a barrel, up half a percent. So what does this mean for the oil patch? It is certainly an interesting talking point. Uh, Essentially ending the Iran waivers is going to give OPEC plus more clarity as they come into this now critical JMMC meeting in Saudi Arabia and also the OPEC meeting coming up in June. But it does also heap more pressure on the Saudi side to act. And while the Saudi energy minister Khaled al-Falah has already said that he will coordinate with fellow oil producers to ensure that the market does not go out of balance, 
It's still unclear if the Saudis and the UAE, which the United States has now bought on side, and other major producers are going to go ahead and hit the gas when it comes to extending output to make up for Iran's shortfall. What this also does is essentially mean that the US has a greater control over the oil market. Getting these supply assurances from Saudi Arabia and the UAE means that President Trump can basically have his cake and eat it too. He can show he's attempting to limit that oil price upside while also cutting waivers to enforce economic pressure on Iran, which is certainly something that he has been attempting to do a hallmark of his foreign policy in the Middle East. But what this also does is certainly cast doubt on an extension of the current OPEC plus supply agreement. Up until now, the conversation has been, yes, these major producers are likely to go ahead with an extension of that 1.2 million barrel production agreement. Now that supply will be tightening, that has been cast into doubt and is now a huge question uh, as we come into this JMMC meeting in Jeddah. Uh, it also uh, cast out on the possibility of secondary US sanctions against Venezuela. It would be um, uh, uncertain and, and, and perhaps uh, uncharacteristic of the United States at this juncture to go ahead with more sanctions on Venezuela and potentially tighten oil output even further because we know uh, that President Trump is very sensitive to higher oil prices. But the other thing I wanted to point out is um, when you have a look at the top importers of Iranian crude, given that China accounts for about 40 percent of Iran's total imports in the first quarter, what this could also potentially do is change the scope of the US-China trade negotiations given China has very little incentive to play ball here. The top importers of Iranian crude, of course, being China, India and Turkey at this point. When you have a look at the amount of production that's still coming out from Iran, of course, the numbers do vary because getting concrete data on this issue is pretty hard. But if you go by the Platts assessment, essentially what we see is Iranian exports still averaging more than 1.7 million barrels per day in March. That includes about 630,000 barrels going into China and more than 360,000 barrels going into India, which are its top two customers. So this is going to be interesting to watch, guys, and, and, and particularly when you factor this in with what we have with regards to the OPEC plus supply cuts, uh, geopolitical tensions in Libya, uh, those possible sanctions on Venezuela, the uncertainty surrounding Iran. The supply side risks in this market appear to be building, and that's certainly something that we're going to be looking out for in the near term. One other thing to point out for you is the Iranian response, and this is also a key risk to the supply side. The Iranians have essentially told the Americans that they will potentially shut off the Strait of Hormuz, of course, that critical oil choke point, one of the most vital oil trading centers uh, in the world, a trading passage in the world. And uh, clearly that could also present a risk to prices in the near term. So huge story to unpack for you guys. We're going to be following this throughout the course of the morning. Yeah, I just had one more thing. Um, the US uh, gasoline prices average per gallon last week, $2.83. Uh, that is the highest level since last October. It is 50 cents, 6 cents higher since the end of 2018 and is only 10 cents off the five year high. That is a major problem for the president and re-election because it's one of the key things that Americans look at when they look at their economic well-being is the price of the gasoline they're putting in their tanks as well. And so he will be on Twitter, I can assure you, encouraging, should we say, uh, others to uh, make up that Iranian slack. No doubt. Let's bring uh, Thanos Papasan.
Savas into the conversation, founder and CIO of ABP Invest. And many issues that this oil story brings up. I want to go straight to China because we have uh, been trading very firmly across on markets that there is a resolution within sight between the US and China on trade. Now, this issue around oil and China has pushed back quite strongly about the, the lack of waivers, given it does take about half of that product from Iran. What's the impact here? Do you think there's a possible negative for those hoping for a trade resolution? No, I don't think this will derail the trade uh, negotiations. It's just one of the factors which will be on the table in terms of the discussions. And, and there, there may be a little bit of leakage, which, which some of the oil which continues to leak from um, Iran, but nothing significant. And I'm sure that, um, in, in, in a sense, you know, Trump will have his cake and, and eat it. He'll be able to contain the oil coming out of Iran, but at the same time maintain the supply through agreements with, with his um, allies in, what, in, in the What if price East. goes up? Let's look at this in pure basics now. We have uh, extraordinarily high Brent prices. We've got WTI at its highest level, uh, had its best day since February and at its um, highest level since last October. If oil continues to go up, India, their budget is under huge constraint. China, they will have problems, and so will the U.S. as well. We more, can't have higher oil prices, well, can we? More important than India and China, as as you mentioned just earlier, is the uh, electioneering of, of Trump. And, and it is core, especially as we're heading into the driving season uh, during the summer, it is very important for the average American, the price of oil, and heading into 2020, Trump will make sure that that price of oil is, is contained. So um, I'm, I'm, I do not believe that we're going to see an escalating price see, of oil. I, I, I would probably, uh, from what Dan was saying earlier, about the more control which is being asserted by OPEC Plus and by Mr. Trump on the back of this as well, because what it does is, and, and all oil watchers know this, it takes away global spare capacity. If the Russians and the Saudi and the EIA data that's coming out for the US as well says that there's less spare capacity out there. That means we are more at the whim of the vagaries of demand changes, let alone supply changes, which says to me we could have a much more volatile market, which is very bad for investment and very bad for everyone. Yes, the volatility will be will arise, and we also saw significantly the movement up from the low 50s up to high 70s, and all the way back down to sub 50 earlier on this year. So volatility is here to stay, but at the same time, I wouldn't expect that level of price to head back towards the sort of 80s, 90s, and hundreds. Mm. A different message jumped out to me, and I wondered whether there was some politics in the background. I mean, the Saudis are allies of the Americans, and we know that there's been a lot of water on the bridge in the last 12 months. I wonder whether this was a helping hand, effectively writing the Saudis a check. I mean, they've been taking the hit in terms of removing the oil from the market, trying to rebalance the supply side. Now, if you've taken out Iran's um, contribution to, to the supply, doesn't it help the Saudis? Doesn't it lessen the, the hit that the Saudis have to take at this point? I think the Saudis want stability. And, and one thing I know from you know, the, the years when I've kind of been looking at this and looking at what uh, Mr. Al Naimi's done and then the, the, the current Mr. Al Fali as well, uh, is they want stability and they don't want great oscillation. They don't want regional disputes. As much as they have problems with Iran, when they get around the table uh, within OPEC, I was always told they leave politics at the door. Whether they're still doing that remains to be seen or not. And looking at allegiances outside of OPEC, i.e., with Russia and potentially with the United United States is that more important to the Saudis now than the old OPEC links and that and I think that's a big question but I think one thing I do know is the Saudis want smooth price they do not want oscillation and and also they want to diversify their economy they've been shifting away from oil 
into the renewables, into the Vision 2030. They're opening up both the stock markets and the bond market. So it, very much been successful to date. I mean, is uh, it's, it's, projects it's, it's such as Neom and 2030 is it stuttering a little bit? It, it, it is stuttering a little bit, but there are clear signs of movement. And mm. with 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 the uh, equity market being part of the FTSE mm. and MSCI, it's also going to provide some liquidity. Can I just uh, round out the conversation on the risk on sentiment then, as we start the week? Because to me, this is quite a different picture. Where last week before the Easter long weekend, we close out the week with uh, decent data coming out of China, relieving some of those hopes that uh, the first quarter was you know, fairly downbeat and now we're going to be able to avoid a recession. But now as we start out the week, we've got concerns about China moving towards structural reforms, not just the stimulus as we close out the week. And we've also got the pressure now around that US-China relationship as we seek a resolution. So is it going to be slightly more risk-off this week? Generally, I think risk-on has been too risk-on. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of more concerned about levels of volatility, excessively low levels of volatility below those we had last summer. Uh, I think there has been some complacency on that. So I am worried about markets in, in, in general. I'm not specifically worried about the Chinese economy. I think that the, the levels of growth will be lower than what they have been. But the, the, the pie generally is so much bigger that the contribution to growth, both regionally and globally, is going to be significant. But I'm, I'm with you in terms of my concerns broadly about, about the markets. Yeah, absolutely. We've got 31% of the S&P reporting this week, 40% of the Dow as well. We're going to come on to a few specifics on that a little bit later on. Right, let's get to one of the most horrific stories of the week so far. A state of emergency has been declared in Sri Lanka as authorities search for suspects behind attacks on churches and hotels that killed 290 people over the Easter weekend. NBC's Bill Neely filed this report last night from Colombo. Today, more bombs. Three exploding in a vehicle as troops try to defuse them. Two dozen people arrested. Tonight, the government is blaming the Easter massacres on a local Islamist group with foreign help. But warnings were ignored. Ministers telling NBC News they had a tip-off that suicide bombers would attack churches. But yesterday, there was no security here. Why weren't the churches protected if you had a warning? Well, how many churches to be protected? But we informed. We informed that there is... A, we never expected a, a, an attack of this magnitude. Churches and hotel restaurants blown to pieces, at least four Americans among the dead. Dieter Kowalski had just arrived at his hotel when a man at the breakfast buffet detonated a suicide bomb. Just on Friday, he wrote, and the fun begins. Love these work trips. See you soon, Sri Lanka. Also among the dead, a fifth grade student, Kieran Shafritz de Zoiza from Sidwell Friends School in Washington, D.C. And the richest man in Denmark, fashion billionaire Anders Polvsen, lost three of his four children. The first blast at a church captured on dashcam video. Inside, carnage. A statue of Jesus spattered with blood. Nearly half of all the victims, dead and injured, were praying here when they were blown up by a suicide bomber. I just heard the explosion. I had never heard an explosion like that. What followed was coordinated. Six targets bombed within half an hour. In the capital, a church and three luxury hotels. Two more churches hit in two other cities. No one has yet claimed the attacks. The worst on Christians in Asia in living memory. US intelligence officials say ISIS may have inspired this, but there is no evidence yet that they were directly involved. A state of emergency has just begun here. A nation in shock and in fear.
Bill Neely, NBC News, Sri Lanka. OK, coming up on this show, Herman Cain takes his hat out of the ring for a seat on the Fed board. Plus... And if you just can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune into our very own podcast. Head to CNBC.com, iTunes, Spotify or Google Play to have a listen and download today's episode. And for our podcast listeners, stick around for some more. Meantime, a quick look at the opening calls on our way to the break. We are chasing red arrows right across the board. Eight down on the FTSE here in the UK, 34 off the Zetradax in Germany, five down for the French market, 24 coming off the Italian market early on. Welcome back. Herman Cain has withdrawn himself for, uh, from consideration for a seat on the Federal Reserve Board. Writing about his decision on conservative website The Western Journal, Cain said it was an honour to be picked by President Trump, but that the role would limit his influence and his earnings. Interesting. Uh, four Republican U.S. senators had said they would oppose Cain's prospective nomination, effectively ending his chances of securing confirmation. Karen. A quick look at how we are shaping up on Dollar Cross's uh, morning session. Uh, you can see uh, Sterling just uh, clawing back a little bit of territory. 129.87 euro dollar on the defensive. 112.49 this morning. Dollar weaker to the Japanese yen, but gaining to the Chinese currency. Let's come back to Thanos and uh, have a chat about what's playing out on foreign exchange markets. Uh, Thanos Papasab is with us, founder and CIO at ABP Invest. It uh, feels as though the market's treading water on some of these currencies. Well, the dollar index, for instance, a little bit off the highs, but not exactly cratering. So what's taking place? What's the psychology, do you think? Well, I think, I think we're going to be seeing a further strength of the dollar towards, towards the end of the year uh, on both, one, economic differentials and interest rate differentials. Uh, my view is that the Fed is going to do another U-turn. We saw the U-turn late last year, and, and I think there's going to see another one. We're going to see a, a rate rise, um, especially if the equity markets, which we're alluding to earlier, continue to rally. Can I um, jump in here? Yes. They didn't say they, were, they haven't got to do a U-turn. They never said they were cutting. It was the market that said they were cutting. It was the market that put a 75% chance on a cut by the end of the year. It was Mr. and Mrs. Market who obsessed about it. They said, we're going to be patient. They said, we're going to watch data. That's what the Fed said. That's what Mr. Powell said. He didn't say, I'm going to cut. Well, they did change policy from saying that they were going to rise to not rising. Well, but they didn't so, say they were going to cut, and that's what the market had pencils in. That, that's, that's a fair point. Uh, they didn't say they weren't going to rise. They said they were going to not be prescriptive about, uh, about uh, rate rises going forward. They said they were going to be patient and well, data-driven. Yeah, but late last year, when they had the forecast and expectations for 2019, <laughs> there was still a number of rate hikes into the forecast. Well, Those, I think there's still rate hikes away. in the dot plot, isn't there? True, but in terms so of So then the they didn't change? Oh, that's, that's, that's being... Uh, no, it's not, actually. But no, I don't believe I am being pedantic. And I'm trying to be yeah. no, no, deliberately no, no, provocative yeah. of you because you're an FX expert yeah. and I'm not. But, but I, I really believe that the market gets itself... Yes, I mean, pauses historically have led to a change of policy and a change of direction as well. But if we're looking at, and I quote, GDP this end of this week, first quarter advance estimate of 2.2%. How can you cut rates when you have an economy which is growing at about okay. or above recent trend? I, I agree with you. And I think especially with the equity markets moving the way they are, they're going to look back at the mistakes of Greenspan. And the mistakes of Greenspan were critical. Back in the mid-90s and the 2000s, rates were brought too low 
kept low for too long and very prescriptively and gradually risen. So I think the Fed will look back and say, whoa, we created a lot of asset bubbles by keeping that monetary stimulus mm. so strong. I think there could be raising rates and, and, and the market is going to be surprised by that. On, on the back of which I believe that the US dollar is going to appreciate on the interest rate differentials and economic differentials. US economy is doing well. We're debating how tricky it is for central banks at this point and does require a huge amount of confidence for the market to, to really uh, sort of have the view that the Fed has their back and will be supportive or will uh, in fact uh, move rates higher or lower depending on what's required. Now we spent last week talking about Herman Cain and the very political appointments that were likely coming the Fed's way. Herman Cain now deciding to take his own name out of that race, uh, despite the fact he's not using the excuse that was political. Is it better at this point? Is it mindful to have a Fed that is not too political, given how much confidence is required by the markets? Oh, totally. I, and I think this is an issue generally not only with the Fed, but broader central banks. We've got concerns about the central bank in, in, in India, in, in Turkey. So this is going to be a phenomenon generally with the politicization of the central bank. But moving back to the Fed, and again, one of the reasons why, in my view, they'll be moving sooner rather than later, is to stay away from that 2020 electionary period. Whereas if they do put a couple of interest rate uh, moves back towards the end of this year, they'll at least reduce the pressure from having to act in 2020. Oh, and they are going to get the stick. Hike. And if they hike, they'll become a political Fed yeah. regardless, won't they? He'll be tweeting furiously. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.